Tonight on Fusion Patrol, we discuss the question, would veteran ace reporter Carl Kolchak be the perfect mentor to a young, up-and-coming student reporter? We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we are looking at the Kolchak the Night Stalker episode, Demon in Lace. Kolchak stumbles across a series of bizarre deaths where fit Handsome young college men are dying of heart failure and with terror on their faces in the arms of beautiful women. Women who were dead hours before they ended up in the dead man's arms. Teaming up in the loosest possible terms with a college paper reporter, Kolchak uncovers that an archaeological treasure is being studied at the university and that it is cursed by a succubus, a female demon that likes to lure men to their deaths. Kolchak must destroy the priceless treasure to stop the succubus. Okay, um... I'm going to ask you just in a second about why you thought of this episode. But before I do, I just want to, I just want to say I am appalled. I am appalled at Kolchak's treatment of the student reporter in this episode. <laughs> Even for me, it was like, okay, that's just, you are just so far over the line on this one. It's not funny. But all right. So, Simon, what did you think of this episode of? Well, I can't, dis- I can't disagree with you on, on that point, certainly. Um, I thought this was one of those episodes that would be fine as a filler episode if it was a kind of one of the weaker ones in the series. So I guess, okay, dealing, dealing with it on its own, own terms, because unfortunately it seems to represent a slight increase in quality, but all the same. Um, it, was, it was stronger on the, the horror stuff, I thought, by and large, that, that was kind of, it was well shot and the effects were well realised. And it was much stronger on the character stuff and the dialogue, even if, you know, Kolchak's behaviour towards Rosalind Winters was pretty awful. I thought that she was written quite um, sympathetically in the sense that she mostly she didn't take any of his shit. And also the it was clear it had an effect on her. So it wasn't just Kolchak being unpleasant and it having no consequence. It was actually something that he 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 did and was portrayed as being appropriately nasty. Okay, that's. Uh, I was going to ask: Did his his influence ultimately make her a better reporter in the future? No. Okay. <laughs> because <laughs> you know, my my thought was. At first, it's just incredibly dismissive. As yes. we've said in the past, he has not been very good at cultivating, cultivating leads or cultivating uh, people to help him out. But, but here he's got somebody, and obviously she wants to get a story herself, and so he is in, in a form of competition with her. But, I mean, he is just nasty to her. And when she is giving him leads, which are not, yeah, okay, they're not substantiated, they're not publishable, they're not... Um, you know, they're, they're, they're not a finished product, but they're not useless to him. He's just utterly dismissive no. yes. about it. And they're, and and they're exactly, they're, it, her proposal is not a stupid one. So she, first of all, she's clearly not just a novice reporter intending to ride on his coattails. She has got some ideas of what to investigate, but she's also suggesting that they, essentially, that they divvy up the work because, you know, it, may, it, 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 it makes sense. Why, why is it even in his interests to work alone? That's, you know, that he, he's willing to use her mm-hmm. and that gets, her some, that gets him some way towards covering the story, but he's only willing to use her in the sense of he'll get whatever information he can from her and then go and pursue his own thing. Whereas he could actually see whether she's any good at investigating. He could give her a job and see what she does with it. Mm -hmm. That's that, you know, that's what she's after. She, she's got a few ideas of, of where to go. And my impression was she was suggesting she should take some of them and he should take some of them and they should compare notes. 
Yeah. Not rocket science. Yeah, but, but like when she said, well, so-and-so said this or something, and then, I mean, he just like, well, have, you know, have you got who's the person, what's the time? You know, I mean, he's hitting him with all the, the major journalistic questions, and, okay, fine, she hasn't got that information, but you didn't even have the glean of an idea yeah. until she said it. And that, you know, it's like, okay. And he clearly I, wants I, it. He wants the information. Yeah. So it just, it was... All of that, it, it just, it actually really bugged me because he can be dismissive to a lot of people. But in this case, it just seemed unduly dismissive in, in some cases. And I think her final scene where Kolchak's off to confront the demon or the professor, I forget which at that particular moment. And she's like, oh, I'm going to come with you. And then she just basically gets to the door and she gives up. I mean, she could have yeah. hopped on her moped and chased him. She knew where he was going, but she just gives up and sits down and, and more or less puts her head in her hands and and gives up. And I I question that one. I question that response out of her. It's like, is it is it just sad realization that nothing's going to come of this? Or is it just, did he beat her down so that, that she oh, I think he beat doubted her, her worth? Yeah. Well, I don't think she doubted her worth, but I think she just... Thought she's she's not going to get anywhere. She's been she's been working with him, and every time they make any progress, he just takes everything, gives her no credit. Yeah, it's 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 completely demoralizing, and I think I think that's you know that that's the effect we see. I mean, it's I I I liked it for sure earlier in the episode where she where she just dumps him and rides off on her moped Mm -hmm. because he he deserved that. Yes, and he didn't even consider the possibility that you know in being extremely nasty to her and still expecting a ride back to his car she you know she might decide that oh it's not worth it not she's not getting anything out of it so i i I mean i think the the context for for this is in other respects this is a this is a kind of problematic episode in terms of the the women in it Okay. Because basically every every female character in this, Rosalind Winters and Miss Emily aside, both gets killed and then gets used as basically a sex object in order to seduce the jock that's going to be mm-hmm. um, <sighs> drained of life force or whatever it is in order to, to um, sustain the succubus. And And there is, and you're right, obviously because of that particular legend if we will it it had to be women but even when they're conducting the the if you want to call them homicide investigations they are so far more interested in the men yeah than the women yes they they literally see the women as being a a a, a potential means but not yeah yeah, it, it, not it's, important in their own right. Yeah, I noticed this one had quite a few writers on the teleplay. That's usually not a good sign. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, maybe in the sense that someone had obviously done a bit of work on uh, kind of cleaning it up, up yeah. the, the dialogue a bit. Well, just just to you know, just to give it a few a few good. Uh, I mean, I think the Miss Emily scene is 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 very entertaining. Where you know, um, Kolchak is talking about the legend that he's uncovering, and Miss Emily is is taking everything he says and thinking it's fantastic for my crossword brimstone. Great, I can use this. Ah, <laughs> uh, the good old days when crossword puzzles were done by hand. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> That uh, yeah, uh, yes, yeah. I'll I'll go along with that, and and we had our obligation. So okay, let's talk. Since we're in the we're in the office, let's talk about Tony's plan for all good news. <laughs> has has I, this ever happened? I mean, I I think it has. Yes, for over there, but I over here we occasionally have local stations that will pop up and they'll start advertising. You know, we're showing you the the good things, the good news that happens, and it never lasts. There was a there, so Brit Brit uh, listeners may uh, recognize this, but there was a newsreader over here named Martin Lewis who was on our national BBC six o'clock, like one of the main bulletins mm-hmm. or whatever, and he and he he went on a big campaign about you know reporting positive news stories because the news was also depressing and awful. Um, no idea what happened to him, but. Uh, <laughs> Clearly, it didn't do him any good. Did he disappear <laughs> off the? <laughs> he's completely yes. He's complete. He's completely vanished. Um, 
So it it's not it's not like uh, it, it. There's some resonance to to um, to Tony's little speech in this. I do still get the impression that they really just don't quite know what to do with Vincenzo. Um, but it's not, you know, it's yeah. It's, some, it's, it's something that rings a, rings a bell. It sounds like it does for you too. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. And you, and you just watch it, and it, it's almost like watching a train wreck when they when they say that <laughs> because they're. Um, you know, you know, it's not gonna. It can't possibly last because there's gonna be a fire, and or there's gonna be a plane crash, or there's gonna be some horrible accident, or and you know that they can't ignore that because if they yeah. do, uh, everyone else is gonna get it, and so, you know, somebody saved a kitten in a tree just does not warrant sending out a news team, and it's it's a sad commentary on what people are interested in knowing about, but. It it does make sense, and so whenever you hear it, you just think, "Yeah, this is not gonna, it's not gonna fly." But but your comment about Vincenzo being a, kind of across the board sometimes, I mean, at times he seems like a real newsman, a seasoned journalist that understands the implications of of the news game, and then at other times he's more interested in just running a happy newsroom than he is running a newsroom. So you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Because because in a se- in a sense, what you want to see from him is is a kind of um, the the best of Vincenzo. I think that we've seen is when he genuinely has Carl's back and he's feeling pressure, and he's resisting it because he's got faith in the stories that Carl's reporting. Mm-hmm. But we've equally seen occasions when he's felt the pressure and he's folded. I, I forget yeah. where this quote was, but like a weak spoon in a strong wind, and. <laughs> It 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 just feels like the characterization isn't that consistent. Obviously, it, it it's interesting to have him and Carl go up against one another from time to time, where they disagree on a story. But it's much more interesting if you get the sense that Vincenzo isn't just a kind of um, erratic blowhard, but he has actually got some, as, as you say, the, the sense of a seasoned newsman and the pragmatism, because that's really where he's always kind of come in from. It's like if you're going to run this story, then and, and you and you're going to get pushback on it, then you've got to know that you can stand up these aspects of it, and you've got to, you know, you don't go until you've got all the facts and all the rest of it. So. It, it it feels like some writers have got that, but not all of them. Not all of them. Yeah. So there's another, there's a dark aspect to his happy news story thing too. I mean, it's one thing to say, you know, we're going to concentrate on the good news. And, you know, where where that leads, you know, is, is back to the dark news. But that's one thing. But when he tells Kolchak to finish up his story about these deaths on campus and bring it to an uplifting ending... Now we have moved across into the land of turning the news into what you want it to be, not yeah. what it is. And that is, you know, a very dark turn. And honestly, we're all living with that right now. But we've always been living with it to a degree. To a degree. that, you know, it's the, it's the editorial angle on something. And of course, it's ludicrous. I mean, an uplifting ending to a, to a story like that. But. Yeah. Make Trump the, look good by the end of this story. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. sure that's been said many a day at Fox News. Well, and, See the and you know, to, worryingly, other news organizations who may... The, the reality is when someone with executive power threatens uh, a, a news organization that is a private organization with shareholders and the share price drops as a result of it mm-hmm. there's inevitably going to be a, a a pressure on to to um produce more favorable s- stories shareholders and, are a problem yeah well and readers are a problem because that's what that's where shareholder value comes from and if readers only want to read happy stories then you've got to give them happy stories and if readers only want to read stories about um you know lascivious and uh kind of licentious yeah exactly stories about murder and sex crimes and all the rest of it then those are the stories that you have to prioritize over things that may perhaps actually be more newsworthy Mm -hmm. so yeah that was 
that one just kind of rang with me when he said that. I'm like, you know, I don't think it was meant in that way. I think it was meant to show, let's go so far as to say Tony's disconnect with reality <laughs> on this, yeah. on this yeah, happy thing. I think, I think it, it was meant to be part of a, a comedic yeah. um, episode, a comedic subplot. But, but the, 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 I don't object to there being an ambiguity about Tony's motivations. So if sometimes you think he's got a particular editorial angle or he's he's being squeezed by the bosses or whatever, it's not necessarily a problem to second guess whether, you know, he's doing it in order to cover his back or whether he's on Carl's side but he's playing a long game or that kind of thing. Because the, the thing, I mean, we've obviously talked about the influence on the X-Files a lot, mm-hmm. but Vincenzo has to be Skinner, right? I think so, and... He he's that kind of he's that and and it's and that's just so well done that that Skinner is the boss who is basically creating a bit of space around Mulder and Scully, but you're never quite sure how hard he's being lent on and what effect that's having on him. Right, because there are times when you don't feel like he has their back as exactly. much as he could, but exactly there are other times when he has it so well it's you know they would be dead without it. Yeah, but it doesn't feel in the way that Vincenzo uh, feels to be a kind of flip-flopper. Oh, we weren't, you know, we got his character wrong, we're rewriting it. Mm-hmm. It, it it feels more like there is something unknowable, at least at first. I mean, obviously, it's a long-running character and he becomes uh, better and better known, but... Particularly after he meets the succubus. But that's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but but the, but but um, but it, it it it's a it's a character development and it and it's about kind of trying to work out what agenda he's got. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't feel there's any interest in what what agenda Vincenzo's got. You know, was it last week or the week before we had him thinking of going off to oh, the Venetian blind business? To, yeah, join his brother in the Venetian blind business or whatever it is. And the, and this week he's he's back to being a drummer. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that I think is. Is um, you know a superior dynamic, if we will, in the X Files is particularly for Skinner specifically. Um, he clearly is not really a believer. You know, we have Mulder yeah. firmly a believer and brilliant. We have Scully firmly a skeptic and not a believer. Skinner seems to fall somewhere more, a little more pragmatic in that thing, but at, but on the non-believer side. So I think he doesn't he doesn't really mull over what Mulder and Scully bring to him, but he accepts it for being work that accomplishes the goals of stopping the crimes, uh, whatever it happens to be in that particular case. Yes. And he recognizes that there's some weird stuff going on there. If Vincenzo yes. would it, just acknowledge to- that there's some weird stuff going on there. And then just always adopt that default position of I'm not buying it until you I can't. But he just denies it. Yeah. Going and that that's well, well, a he, huge well, improvement. Well, in Skinner he, some, over he, he sometimes said. I mean, I entirely agree with you about Skinner. I think what I think with Vincenzo. Well, what Skinner what Skinner is recognizing is is that there is weird stuff going on in the sense that there is pressure being brought to bear and there clearly is some kind of conspiracy and he doesn't necessarily believe that Mulder is on the right track assuming that everything is uh, has a paranormal origin but he he recognizes and values Mulder's abilities as a, as a, as an investigator and as a and as a profiler and as a generally very clever bod and you get you you get how that how they how they've got that from Vincenzo in the sense that we have had those occasions when Vincenzo has pushed back against the pressure that he's felt because clearly sometimes Kolchak's investigations do stray into the realm of the political and we we saw um, a couple of episodes uh, maybe it was the Energy to where there was a. A, a kind of a, a, there was another agenda going mm-hmm. on, and so Kolchak wasn't just digging into what the what the the paranormal mystery was, but he was also digging into um, or, or, or 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 finding out who had interest in it and what they were doing about it. And mm-hmm. I I wish they had built on. I mean, obviously the X Files they did build on that more. I wish they had built built on that more in Kolchak because it's there. We have we have Vincenzo occasionally mentioning what a damn fine reporter Kolchak is, even when Kolchak doesn't seem to show much sign of being a, 
a fine reporter of any sort. But it, but it, it that in much the same way that that uh, Skinner, you know, respects Mulder's abilities. Sometimes we get that from Vincenzo about Kolchak's abilities, even when he's feeling, uh, uh, you know, annoyed about the the direction he's gone in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't really get that in this one. You know, he's annoyed that he didn't turn up at the office at first thing in the morning or whatever. Which is like, who cares if he brings in this, a good story? Who cares? Yeah, yeah. That that was that does ring as oh, well. When he come in, I was on a story. I was at a murder scene. I mean, isn't that what he's supposed to be doing? You know, <laughs> so, exactly. So, but they, but they, but they seem to be switching to trying to 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 show Vincenzo as being some sort of jobs worth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I'm gonna throw one out there that is totally irrelevant, but just kind of in the vein of that whole um, uh, your comment about the use of female characters in this. That was one mighty fine looking junkie. <laughs> you know, if if they showed you the corpse of a junkie woman now, she would be straggly, emaciated. Um, you know, she'd look like she was worse for wear. Not this incredibly hot girl who apparently just has a lot of needle tracks in her arm, which doesn't fit. So that was a. I thought that was an odd well, characterization that, from that. The, that depends because the, there's a difference between a junkie and a drug user. <sighs> yeah. I suppose they did call her a junkie um, and they did refer to like, all the tracks in her arm, which would imply a heavy user. But yes, uh, yeah, <clears throat> but I mean, yeah, the, the, I, I suppose the, the distinction I'm thinking of is, is between someone who can afford it and someone who can't. Mm. And, it, you know, if, if someone can afford it, then well, it's maybe. much easier to lead something much closer to be, being a normal life. Whereas if you can't afford it, then all sorts of other things like personal hygiene and so forth go by the wayside. So, but yes, yeah, she's called she she's referred to as a junkie. It does seem a bit incongruous. The girl who falls down the stairs, fine, you know, it happens. It was a simple accidental death. It just she was drinking, she fell. I mean, it does happen. The girl who died at the gas, you know, these are just things the succubus is looking for but that the junkie one is like it's like that would be like pulling a car crash victim yeah, out and I'm, sending her on her way <laughs> i'm not sure i was that that convinced by the falling down the stairs either um the acting or the uh just the, the premise the of acting the, no <laughs> okay. the, the 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 premise is okay but uh, <laughs> well i don't i don't know if it was there they had to use the special rubber stairs and the, the yeah it's like, yeah the, uh, anyway the 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 gas was much more convincing so, the return of Mad Dog Siska, our first returning police captain. I thought he seemed familiar, but was he was he wearing yes. that mustache last time? Yes, that actor's been wearing that mustache forever. Yeah, no, he was definitely... It's a damn fine mustache. <laughs> it's like, oh, good old Keenan Wynn has been wearing that mustache. Well, I'm sure he's dead by now, but he was wearing that mustache for forever. He's a character actor that was just a fairly standard working character that's that's what he always looked like uh i saw a couple pictures of when he was really young and he didn't but once he went gray i think he had that forever but yeah that's the same uh, mad dog siska that's the the same one that was in therapy i'm okay you're okay from the earlier episode that kolchak broke down and uh uh i I wish he just and oh he was oh so that would have been um the sleep one Spanish moss murders mm-hmm. so um I I get away I kind of wish they just had one or two detectives that Kolchak kept coming up against it it makes well, yeah. far more sense the way he reacts to Kolchak this time than it would with Larry Linville's character in the last one. Yeah. He was like, ah, I've just heard about you, Kolchak. Yeah. Instead of, I've, I've experienced we've, Kolchak. <laughs> but we've been kind of saying from the beginning that if you're going to have a shouty police captain in every episode, and in fairness, it hasn't been every episode, but for the first few episodes, it yep. was mm-hmm. every episode. Why make it a different shouty police captain? It, I'm wondering if that's for the guest star capability the guest actor but but again i i honestly when he showed up in this episode i was shocked i don't remember ever i don't ever remember noticing that that was the same police captain yeah which is because you're yeah you're used to them uh coming and going going through that revolving door of shouty police captainage yeah so i unfortunately i then looked it up to make absolutely sure and he won't be back but 
Well, I'm not saying I, I want to see him or indeed any other shouty police captain every week. What I think would, would be a more interesting setup would be where you had, as you say, maybe a few detectives who mm-hmm. are familiar to him with whom he has different relationships. Just, you know, mix it up. Yeah, because, you know, they're going to get assigned to cases on some unknown basis. So, you know, am I lucky this week I get the cop I get along with? Am I unlucky exactly. because I get Mad Dog or whatever it happens to be? Exactly. Nonetheless, I was I was kind of pleased to see that they did bring one back once. <laughs> I was as yes. surprised. I really was surprised because I just simply do not remember that. And I think part of it is because they're not running the therapy gag through it. You know, I remember. Yeah. I remember Keenan Wynn as the therapy gag cop. Yes. Um, not although they do mention it. Kolchak does take a dig. Yeah, at but it. they that therapy going. But that's it. Yes, I think they may have acknowledged that they had kind of labored that one to death true true uh, yeah i wasn't saying they needed to keep going with it but you know it was it was um i'll tell you what would have been even better if they'd reversed the order of the episodes yes you have mad dog first then you meet mad dog when he's being nice and you're like what's going on there and it Kolchak breaks him back down again that would have yeah. made more sense well, it felt like that when we first met him, that there should have been an episode before. Yeah, yeah, we, we should have known that character, but they had to establish him as... Kolchak had to basically tell the audience that he was acting weird by being well, nice. Maybe in, maybe in syndication it does go in that order, so you never know. <laughs> yeah, I doubt they put much thought into it that way. <laughs> Pretty sure they don't. Well, just, just as a result of the roll of the dice... Speaking of the uh, the job that the police do, how about that medical examiner who basically does an info dump every time Kolchak is in close proximity? <laughs> Why, that's just like that murder we had the other day with the same thing where the boy had the big terrified look on his face and was in the arms of yet another girl who was dead. It's like, wow, <laughs> that is some of the clunkiest, awful dialogue I have heard in a long time. And and for Kolchak to be standing there in their peripheral vision, surely they can see a man standing there. And for for Mad Dog to be saying, well, you know, it's official. We're keeping this quiet. Don't tell anybody. Well, I can understand why you wouldn't want to keep it quiet because of all this terrifying <laughs> death. It's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm just kind of like, really? This is it's really? the answer to that. It's the answer to that question that Kolchak has asked. How, how have you managed to survive in the news business being such an imbecile? And the answer is because everyone else is even more of an imbecile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of that way. Uh, nice touch. Uh, I'm going to put um, was the st- horrific stench of the the demon. Now, maybe it was a little over the top. Yeah. But smell does not often come into stories on television and movies on, for yeah, an obvious reason. Televisions, television and other audiovisual media. Just just don't really... You know, occasionally it's like, do you smell that? The smell of bitter almonds, you know, or <laughs> whatever yeah. it happens to be. But very, very rarely do they make such a big point out of it like they did here. And, um, yeah, I just, I kind of appreciated it. It's like, here's a bit of evidence that we can't experience through the television medium. Um, maybe if one of them had thrown up, that would have been a little more convincing. I also thought it was interesting that they didn't really explain well, the, the smell. Do you know, that's the other thing that's, fr- they did a little bit, but like I say, when, when, when Sherlock Holmes picks up a glass of wine and sniffs it and says, the smell of bitter almonds, and you get the whole thing about it being cyanide and prussic acid, because you've, you've got to, you have to explain it to the audience. And in this case, the fact that they're practically retching from the smell is good enough that it's just, the room really smells bad. There's something really awful there. And the first time when the guy says, "Did you ever been in the wars, Kolchak and Kolchak, a couple, and he says, it's a smell of death. And you go, okay, it's, it's not necessarily something that the audience is supposed to be able to associate with themselves, right? Because I don't know, if you've, if you've not been on a battlefield and you've not been around that kind of death, maybe you don't know what it is, but you still at a level know that dead things stink and... As opposed, but it's to a somebody, weird line. It's a weird line because what what do they mean? What does it mean? The 
I think it, it evokes that, death is what he was trying to get at. It's like it's, but it, it evokes is, a certain kind of death because because actually what you're talking about is it's the smell of decomposition. But what you've got is it occurring in circumstances where someone has only just died. That is a that well. What I think, and, and, unless you, unless you unless you unless perhaps you're talking about. Hmm. <laughs> I think so that there has certain been other bodily reactions that occur. Um. Oh, <laughs> no, I think that there have been there have been other stories where horror stories, if I recall correctly, where there is the actual smell of death, decomposition and and decay. And then there's, uh, you know, when I say it's an aroma, there's something else associated with horrible battlefields or mass carnage or that's a different smell and and it's described as the smell of death as opposed to the smell of decay and it's i think it's meant to say that that smell it's not just there's a dead body there there's the evil of war there is what i took out of it the first time through but then later when they started mentioning this sort of brimstoney then you're like oh well it's just hellfire that they're going for mm. sulfur and sulfur and hellfire and i but and i don't think that's what they mean when they say you're on a battlefield you're not you're not smelling sulfur and and uh like that you're you're smelling something else something that's that's evil but Anyway, I just I thought that was interesting that they added that in. Now, I still find it amusing that you can have that guy who said that it was the smell of death for him to be a college student and for him to also have done three years in Nam. He did. He did seem quite youthful, but uh... he did. But back then, I suppose he could have done a tour, yeah, and then come home and gone to college, and it would still be possible in 1975. Now, when I think of a Vietnam vet, you know, they've got. They get 10, 15 years on me. So they're all straggly and gray and old. So I, I and they've, you know, my whole life, they've always been older people. So looking at this, I'm like, well, yeah, it fits. But boy, that didn't, <laughs> that didn't, didn't fit for me at the time. You know, and I watched it. I'm like, yeah, all right. It's interesting also then that Kolchak has been in a couple of wars too. Yeah. That we would, don't, don't get any more detail on that. I guess is he was probably a soldier at some point. He's probably well, about the right I, age. He could have been drafted for Vietnam. Uh, sorry, Korea. Korea well, that's war. one possibility. But there's also some possibility that he was a war reporter. War reporter, too. Yeah, hard hard to say. Hard to say. But more more background to Kolchak's character that we don't, don't get. Um, I'm covering the light stuff first. Uh, I was amused by the line where... Mad Dog said to the college kid, uh, you might just go poke around your room and see if I find any of those funny vegetables. That is never a euphemism I have ever heard. No. <laughs> ever. I know right what he means, but I've never heard that one before. And I wonder why they used it, because they didn't even use that normally in television in, in the U.S. in the 70s. They went with more conventional ones, so it's just kind of an odd thing. So, two questions, three questions, two or three questions. The big, the big part of the episode. One, does Professor Spate know all along? Two, what the heck is the succubus doing? And three, why did it laugh at him? <laughs> Which is the smaller of the three questions. There was no explanation of the motivation behind the succubus. I um, thought there might have been something that said it was guarding the tablet, but guarding it from what? How is killing all the, the young men guarding the tablet? I thought the killing the young men was what it did to sustain itself. And the tablet, mind you, I'm assuming this because de destroying the tablet destroyed the succubus. But the tablet was somehow connected with, you know, it. I don't know. <laughs> See, I I, no I genuinely have no idea what the what the motivation. You know, okay, the vampire motivation has to drink blood. Jack the Ripper motivation needs the kidney. Um, yeah, to survive yeah. in the same way that that was my assumption. But I I don't quite see. I can accept that more easily than I can understand what the purpose of the of the tablet was or what the connection with the tablet was. You know, in some in some. Um, 
mummy movies, for example, the archaeologist digs up some artifact that needs to be left where it was, right? Don't disturb this or I will curse you. And then the mummy attacks them and goes on. But I didn't quite get that because why wouldn't it just go after Spate? But instead, it seemed to be concentrating on people who all had some tenuous connection to him. That was the one thing that our that our junior reporter coughed up at some point later in the episode was that there was all a, a at least a, a brief connection in some way to Professor Spate. And I just I, I'm like okay, you know, if if it's a de- you know it's a demon, I don't think of a demon as wow, I've got my own preconceived notions about what a demon is. I don't think of a, of a demon as needing to sustain itself. No. You know, it's just, it, it's there to do evilly demony things. <clears throat> um, so, yeah. And, and so she dies. The girl dies. She comes back. She meets up with, I think Michael was his name. And then they go to visit the professor. And she just stands there laughing maniacally at him. Why? Yeah. <laughs> what was that about? No idea. Is are is she trying to drive him mad like they did White Whitehead Whiteside Whitehead? I think it was. Well, but he's not. She's not. She's not trying to. It's it's difficult without knowing what she is trying to do. But she's not. It it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to me clear why they've ended up at, at Spate's place mm-hmm. because you would have thought she would be more interested in doing whatever she's going to do to the right. young, Michael, young chap. Yeah. yeah. And, and Michael. To, and she doesn't have, she, she doesn't have any interest in spate as far as I can tell. No, doesn't seem to be. And is it just a coincidence that she happened? I mean, if she's been picking on people who are in some way associated with spate, so then this Michael guy is a perfect opportunity victim because he's at least an eight uh, in a world yep. where Mick Jagger is nine. Um, we yep. can talk about that. <laughs> we can talk about what alternate freaking reality world they live in there. But um, well, 1975. <laughs> Mick Jagger was always a weird looking human being. Surely. I've seen pictures of Mick Jagger. He was weird looking man. Um <laughs> Before age distorted him even further. But anyway, so I can see how she might pick him because he's next in line to get the job with Spate. She's killing off good-looking guys who have some connotation with Spate. Is it a coincidence that he happened to be going there and on his at the night when he had a date or when this woman met him? Because surely she came about when the opportunity of a dead body arose. Dead body, you pop up, you go kill somebody, yeah. and then that's the end of it. And it just happened to be that the guy was going to see Spate that night. And so she gets her opportunity to stand face to face to him and she just laughs at him maniacally. Um <laughs> and I really I wish we dwelled a little bit more on, on Professor Whitehead. Why did he go nuts? What why didn't they go try to find that out? What was what was his I mean, in the past, Kolchak goes and checks out on crazy people. Yeah. So why didn't he go see what Whitehead was babbling on about? Um, it might have given us a. It might have given us a clue as to what the. You know, it could simply be you are the possessor of the tablet. You are cursed. I'm gonna make your life miserable in some way. You know, like sort of like the mummy's tomb. But I, I, I don't know. And and I felt that was a major flaw in this story is that I really really don't understand what the succubus is about. I get what it does and I get yeah. what its mo is, but I didn't quite understand what its purpose was. In in if a demon does indeed need a purpose. So turn to my last question: When did Spate know? All along, I Kolchak says that at one point. You've known this all along, haven't you? But we never get confirmation from that, and I, I, I don't know. I, I really couldn't read it in in the story. Would he have? You know, is he? Is he? Did he know when Whitehead got crazed up that you know this was his opportunity to get hold of this priceless artifact? And so, well, consequences be damned. Is is that what we're supposed to get out of Spate or? When he was talking about how he doesn't believe in any of this nonsense, was he was he truly did he truly mean he didn't believe in any of this nonsense? Was he protesting too much because he did, but he he refuses to believe? I I don't know, and I think I think the story would have been better if we'd had some clue laid earlier that could have answered that question because Kolchak just basically pulls that 
out of thin air. You've known him long, haven't you? And it's like, did he? I, I don't know. Well, I don't put it this way. The fact that Kolchak says that I take as the writers indicating that he did, because this isn't Kolchak isn't written in such a way that there are so many layers to the. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> you, you, you get what I'm saying. In, I, in yeah, the sense you just that, convinced me right there no, that you, you're absolutely right. Kolchak can't be wrong. Basically. Well, I mean, in, in, from the writer's yes. standpoint, or, he... or, or, or to put, or to put, it, put it another way, the, the, the writers just use Kolchak as a mouthpiece. Yeah. So it's it's an info dump rather than something where we are supposed to think about the the words in the context of the character who is speaking them. Um, you know, either either the character is an honest honest person and, and we get the information from them, or they've been dissembling. And so my interpretation of space is that he has been dissembling because. We have that line from Kolchak, and there's nothing else other than his own words that suggest that he didn't know all along. Okay, like, there's no there's no single piece of behaviour where you go, well, he wouldn't possibly have done that if he knew. Would the word succubus have been so far down the line on his translation that it wasn't translated when Kolchak took the picture, but it was when Kolchak went back later? That's kind of... Mm. If I'd known there was some female demon hunting this tablet or suspected it, um, you know, he could have just simply been in denial too. The spade. I mean, he could have perhaps he perhaps. could have known it and been perhaps, simply denying it, would... it in his own mind. Yeah, that that would be kind of, because I think you know when Kolchak starts to destroy the tablet. First off, Spate tries to stop him. Then the demon shows up, and Spate just goes off and cowers but refuses to press yeah. charges. And so he's obviously been convinced at the end that that absolutely did happen and that it was necessary that the tablet be destroyed. Otherwise, he'd have had Kolchak raked over the coals. Well, except that he that he's he has a guilty conscience about it. Well, that would he, mean he knew it was he, true in the yes. end. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. I did think the actual destruction of the tablet... I know, I know. I said they did some of the horror stuff quite well because I thought the, you know, the makeup on the succubus and so forth was fairly um, horrific in a good way. But uh, the tablet, not so much. It was a bit plaster of Paris. I thought uh, they were used a lot of plaster of Paris back in those days. I kind of wondered if all he needed to do was to tip the darn thing to begin. I, mean, I don't know, but I just always assumed a big tablet like that, if you knock it on the floor, it's going to shatter. But yes. Um, he did seem to be having a hard time with the crowbar on it. So, and the well, hammer. only only because it was so soft that every time he stuck the crowbar in it, it just <laughs> yeah. it just went into it like you know he was sticking it into a cake or something. It didn't it didn't crack across the whole tablet as you might expect something big and brittle to do. True, true. It, it definitely and also seemed... and also also it appeared to be only coloured up on the surface. So it was yeah, I did notice that. Like, hmm. I did notice Still, it was. We have said they've done these things in a bit of a hurry, so... Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's a true statement. So one criticism that I've heard you level at Kolchak, and I think it's a fair criticism, is that he goes on this destructive rampage in episodes. When there's a vampire, you know, I'm going to go get out the, the stake, and I'm going to cut it through the heart, and, uh, you know, Jack the Ripper, I'm going to electrocute him. And so he is on has no compunctions about going out and committing what could conventionally be considered murder. Mm. Now, obviously, you're going to argue the supernatural being doesn't have rights under the laws. I don't know, but that's another story. But, but basically, he is, you know, if he has any doubt whatsoever, then you'd have to be thinking that you're going to murder someone. And yet not once does Kolchak ever give pause to ever going out and destroying an evil villain. Except... In this episode, he gives pause to destroying a priceless artifact. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, wait a minute, Air. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that until I had heard your criticism of his behavior. And then suddenly it's like, yeah. wow, he actually pauses for a second to think, no, you know, can't do that. That thing's priceless. As opposed to, I can't go stick a heart stake through his heart. It's a, a sentient being. You know, it... it <laughs> I wonder. I wonder. Standard. If well, I, but I wonder if part of that is because because the consideration is that if it if it is if it is a vampire, 
then it's it should it should have no rights it it is inherently evil and needs to be destroyed whereas if it's this kind of priceless artifact even if its continued existence means that there's still a succubus going around killing young men it's it's like but in order to in order to destroy her you have to destroy this thing of value i kind of feel like i shouldn't be defending him here but it's like <laughs> if if in order to kill the vampire you had to kill an innocent person who was standing in front of them say okay it, it's it's almost like because because it has because it has value for, in, in itself now i think you know the 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 reality is no one would place no no one apart from kolchak would place the equivalent value of an of an innocent life on a stone tablet um, agreed but yes Kolchak's priorities are are a bit up the spout, and the and the issue I have is not just not just about the fact that Kolchak is willing to go around putting as uh, committing as you put it uh, murder, or what would be taken to be murder. Um, if there were any, it, it's not just if there were any doubt about the nature of the entity that he's murdering, but mm. it's also if there were any sense in which the entity that he is murdering is actually a sentient being that deserves rights regardless of the fact that it isn't human mm-hmm. jack the ripper well i'm not saying in every case yeah i'm just i'm just wondering it's yeah i i, I there it's is noting it's noting a trend the man is kind of bloodthirsty yeah well, and there is, you know, there is some debate remaining in the world today about the death penalty. It's like, you know, no, no matter how bad someone is, no matter how evil, no matter how horrible they are, um, there's still some sentiment somewhere by some people at some times that that yeah. is not deserving everywhere, of death. <laughs> everywhere except a handful of countries that still are barbaric enough to have the death sentence, in fact. And yet, and yet, this very week, Charles Manson died in jail, having been there for, you know, however many decades he's been in jail. Oh. One, of, one of the most heinous murderers in history, <laughs> at least of this country. Um, you know, it's... it's uh, <laughs> So yeah, so we're not all entirely barbarians. We let kept him alive for a long time. So, <laughs> but I guess I guess in the case of um, in the case of Kolchak, it could be argued that there is an element of defence to some of his actions. Some but of what it. there isn't, what what there isn't, is a consideration of whether it's necessary. There isn't that. There isn't that hesitation, and there isn't that thinking. Is there another way? Because I think a lot of people would understand it if you were saying, "Well, hang on, here is a vampire that's about to kill someone. The only way you can stop them is to put a stake through their heart." Oh, and here's a handy stake. But it's never like that because Kolchak packed a stake and gone looking for him. Does that? And it, yeah, I, and I, you know, they're they're being. They're being simpl- uh, simplistic with the 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 creatures. Kolchak finds an expert, whatever the expert might be. They said, "Well, if if such a thing did exist, how would you get rid of it?" And they go, "Well, the legend says that the only way to get rid of a headless corpse is to put his head back." Actually, he didn't kill that. <laughs> Come to think of it, now that we mention it, but the only way to get rid of you know <laughs> a vampire is to stake him. Um, so in each case, he, almost every case, he has been presented by quote unquote somebody who knows better than him this is what you have to do not this is one yes. possible way that you have to do it and and actually i tell a lie because in an episode i just watched which was called demon and lace he was given two options he was given the option of destroying the tablet or having the church perform an exorcism which they won't do because it's bad for publicity or whatever the the comment was so they just dismissed that idea out of hand well not going to get that to happen so, uh, but usually, you know, to get rid of a zombie, you do this. To get rid of this, you do that. And so that's what he does. He never, it's shorthand. Yes, they don't, but he they does don't think it. about he it. He does right? it. He does it. And he ends up, as, as he ends up in Demon in Lace, with no story. Mm-hmm. Because what, he, what he's done in his gung-ho way is go out and murder the evidence. Yep, but mur- you know, murder it in a way that you're never going to be able to um, posthumously actually prove the the story he's been trying to report. So mm-hmm. in the end, the most important thing for him is killing the thing. Yeah, and I think a good example of your defense point is the werewolf. You know, what yes. choice did he have? That thing was going through the boat like nobody's nobody's business, 
And though the though the though the, were, the werewolf was certainly one of those ones where you really it made it made me start to question it because because what you were doing was killing you were actually killing an innocent there. But that's the tragedy of the werewolf myth is that the werewolf is innocent and that the curse makes them do horrific things. It is, things. and it was a tragedy for the werewolf. It didn't yeah. appear in any sense to be a tragedy for Kolchak, though he didn't seem to mind about killing it. Yeah, him. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. All right. Well, I don't have any thoughts on this. I'm just. I'm, I've got one other thing that oh, I, okay. I want to mention, which is just, which is just because I said there were things in 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 this in the script that you know dialogue and stuff that I enjoyed, and they m- many of them uh, occurred and good characters. Many of of the best lines occurred in the scene with um, uh, Mozart. Um, mm-hmm. So I just thought I would mention that I particularly liked it when Kolchak was questioning him, him, and he said, um, Kolchak said something uh, about how how it, you know how how could it be happening, and Mozart's theorizing, as as you mentioned, you know the experts say this is what you would do, and he understands it to be talking about a a hyp, uh, you know a, a, a mythological situation, but he says I don't see how it could be happening as it's only a superstition, which is um, a pretty neat summary of most of uh yes. most, most of the kind of plots in Kolchak where you think I I kind of wish there was a little bit more of that kind of skepticism very very neatly uh, neatly phrased because it's because it's coming from someone who obviously knows a great deal about the mythology but is sane enough um if somewhat sleepy is <laughs> kind of sane enough to to understand that it's 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 stories and I also I also liked his um, his his magazine selling, um, particularly particularly the one where um, what was it contemporary inventions? Yeah, where you could you could make your own solar powered pottery wheel or shark repellent with ingredients found in the home. Excellent. Yeah, that was that was. I also recall the the bit there where he was trying to sell a handgun magazine, and Kolchak said he'd send it to Miss Emily. Yes, yes, yes. So, all right. Well, uh, next episode of Cold Check is Legacy of Terror. Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. Listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, FusionPatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle, at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at FusionPatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.